even if Bitcoin, you know, has all of this native adoption and organic use, the, the real driver of all of this globally is the, you know, hundred trillion dollars of, of forced buying of dollars because you're, for, you're short dollars. It's dollar liabilities. Hello there from Austin, Texas. How are you all doing? You having a good week? been a really busy couple of weeks for us. We've been out in Nashville recording shows now here in Austin. And then next week, I'm going to be recording the third film in my series, Follow the Money. Going to be making a film about mining. Very excited about that. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got Dylan LeClaire back on the show. Now, I'm sure you all know who Dylan is. He is a relentless producer of content, especially on Twitter and produces all this really in-depth interest and analysis of what's happening in the wider macro market, but also what's happening in Bitcoin. Recently, Dylan has been getting into the Genesis and GPDC situation, and so we wanted to get him onto the show and just talk about talk about this, but also talk about macro and general Bitcoin bear market stuff. He's a great guy, really enjoyed having him back on the show, and if you've got any questions about this or anything else, please do reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I feel like Jordan Peterson's going off the edge a bit. It's not that I disagree with him. No, I know what you mean, though. But that thing in Canada is wild. Yeah, it's fucking mad. Re-education it's, camp. It's like a, it's like a, you know, he's just like a boomer that discovered social media. Like he, he responds to reply guys with like three followers and like an egg profile picture. I used to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I used to. Daniel's like, why are you replying to these fucking idiots? And it wasn't like once; it was for years. Yeah, I was like, and, and every one of them, and I was like, why am I trying to prove every person? Like, just accept people are going to lie and bullshit about you. Why try and... Rep- because what it is, is you get... You put something out there, you get all those replies, and you're like... And you know they're wrong, and you think, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to show you. And then they argue back. And then you've got 84 arguments going on for a day. Yeah, and then you just pull... You just draw attention to the person that called you a D-bag or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, and they've won, because really, that's what they need. Yeah. How much have you? Ex- how much have you experienced over this last year? Because you've blown up. Well, what are you now? Like two hundred, three hundred thousand followers? Uh, something. I don't know. I mean, like half the people. Everyone are, knows. <laughs> like two, uh, two, two ninety, two ninety. So right. you, you must have gone through that experience. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've, I think, being somewhat of like an internet native, and like, I don't really, I don't know the the back and forth, and like the people saying bad things, good things. It's like part of it all um i i've actually gotten really really uh familiar with the mute button not even block mute is powerful i prefer a block yeah yeah so they'd know i kind of like just letting people just like toil away just like never being noticed but also like you know they can just they can just shit talk you and say bad things and your replies every time and you just like blissfully unaware i don't know yeah you never get the satisfaction i think what it is when when I get it, and I've got a lot of people muted, but I, when I've got somebody who's just a massive dick, yeah. I'm like, I don't want other people seeing your shit. Yeah. I'd rather cultivate a community of decent people. Anyway, Dylan LeClaire, how are you, brother? Never been better. Yeah? Excited, yeah. How's, uh, how's your first bear market? It's great. It's, uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's great. I'm, I've learned to, uh, to actually love it. It's... Uh, I don't know the the chaos and I mean everybody loves the bull market uh, the up only we're gonna make it uh, all that but uh, I don't know the bear something with like filtering out all the noise all of the the speculation all of the you know 
the NFTs and all, all the, all the garbage. And then being like, yeah, I'm still here. I'm here for the reason I was here one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. I mean, I'm here for the reason that I was in high school, like pitching my friends at parties about this orange coin thing. Like I'm, that's the same reason I'm talking to you today. So it's been great. So you got more conviction now. Yeah. I have more conviction than ever. Um, and like, you know, the exchange rate's just a, a thing. Right. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of satisfying seeing like, cause I remember, uh, when Bitcoin traded to 17,000 in 2020 and like everybody was euphoric and the chart was like, looked great. And you know, it was on CNBC every single day in the news cycle. And now Bitcoin's 17,000, whatever today, and it's dead and the thesis is broken and, and all of these things. And it's just kind of funny how human psychology works. When uh, when we made the show with uh, Harry before this, we looked up. So I launched a podcast, I think it's November 23rd, 2017. The price on December 17th, so about a, just less than a month after I launched the podcast was what? 20,000. 20,000 pretty much, yeah. yeah. That was the top. And then here we are, five years later. <laughs> what Bitcoin did, go sideways. Yeah. Yeah, we realized it's been a stable coin through the whole time. <laughs> Uh, do you think we bottomed? I think I think the worst of the the price based capitulation is done. I think we have a painful sideways existence for some time. I, don't, I mean, I don't know exactly, but um, for the most part, the the exciting the exciting part of the of the bear market in terms of the volatility, the deleveraging, whatever it may be. I mean, there's a potentially another catalyst or two, like. Bitcoin crypto native wise, but like for the most part, we've just washed the dead bodies to the shore. Um, yeah. And now it's like, like uh, Pete Rizzo. And I, I've told this story a few times. He has like, he had the, the funniest analogy ever. Um, I think we were on a call or, or we were, we were somewhere we were just hanging out and he's like, he's like, this is what we, you don't understand. He's like, here, here's the analogy where you're in an alley uh, and you're in a dark alley and no one can see you. And two guys come and they jump you and, and they're just kicking the shit out of you and beating you up and you're just, and you're just, you know, fight or flight mode, just trying to protect yourself, trying not to die. And these guys rob you to take your money and they're just stomping you on the ground. And once it's over and once the guys left and they leave you in the alley, which is, you know, the last 12 months, uh, you got another two to three to four hours. I've just huddled your body's in shock. You don't know what's going on until you realize that no one's coming to get you and you got to crawl and pick yourself up and get out of the alley and get some help. Uh, and, and recover. And so I think we, uh, we still got to crawl out of the alley here. Um, but that's fine. Cause you know, we didn't die. So <laughs> yeah. And they maybe they might be just about to come back in the alley and just punch us. A couple yeah, more they times. Might, yeah. A couple more gut punches maybe, yeah. but we'll see. We didn't get that fucker enough. Uh, do you remember when we were with Rizzo and he's like, ah, were you there? He might've just been Jeremy when he said he's a cycle maximalist. Yeah, no, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, no Rizzo, this time it's different. <laughs> This time it's different, Rizzo. We're going to have a super cycle. It's not going to come down as much. He's like, I'm a cycle maximalist. It's going to be the same shit over and over. Yeah, he was pretty right too. He yeah. was like, uh, it was sometime in, in uh, 2021. He's like, listen, man, like this is what's going to happen and I don't need any data. I don't care about inflation or anything else. He's like, in 12 months time, we're going to be 70% lower and I don't know the exact time frame, but everybody thinks this time's different and it's a super cycle. And he used to like work with Dan Held and all that. And he's like, and the super cycle thesis is hilarious because everybody's going to lever up and everybody's going to get absolutely wrecked. And then it's going to go down 70%. 
and we're gonna do the whole same thing over again. And Rizzo was right, so I gotta hand it to him. Yeah, props Rizzo, Rizzo was right. Uh, <laughs> but it's gonna be different this time. Uh, yeah, the next one is a super cycle. The next one is a yeah. super cycle, we're gonna get out of it. Um, yeah, so uh, you've kind of become, it's interesting, you've become like a leading analyst. Um, really interesting following your Twitter over the last year. Uh, brilliant, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. I don't know how you do it. You seem to uh, be fast on everything that's happening. Uh, you've got really good intuition. Um, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure to, to kind of watch what you've done. Um, but over this year, did you have suspicions of what was coming? Did you see much of what was coming? I'm really talking about this guy. Leverage contagion that's happened. Yeah, no, I mean, I uh, I will say like in, in 2021, uh, the double bubble kind of uh, threw a wrench through like some of the analysis or some of the, like I was I was surprised uh, that that we broke a new all-time high uh, in, in the fall. And from there, and you know, the Fed was still printing and, you know, I wasn't, you know, didn't signal the top. I didn't, I didn't nail that there. Um, but you know, when we were around 40,000, uh, maybe 35,000, whatever, um, I was actually in Europe, uh, on a boarding, I was in Prague going to Madrid, uh, as this whole Luna UST thing was, was popping off. Um, and I, and I hadn't really dug too much into Luna. Um, I didn't really care. I'm not, I'm not buying you know, the newest Ponzi on the, on the crypto block. I don't, I don't, but I like, I just started to examine uh, the mechanics of it just to understand, you know, cause a lot of, there's a lot of uh, Bitcoin buying. I mean, they bought, you know, 80,000 Bitcoin or whatever it was. Um, and I started digging into the mechanics and I see, uh, as I'm in this airport, I see the UST peg uh, break and there's like $20 billion of stable coins in this, you know, synthetic algo stable or whatever. Um, and I see that peg start to go to the 98 cent bound um, or whatever it may be. And that was like the point where once I reach 98 cents, they start to, to liquidate the Bitcoin. And so, yeah, I start to see like the crypto market start to tank. And I was like, well, hey guys, like first off, get out of UST. Um, and second off, um, just based on, I started to look in the mechanics, like in real time, I'm on crappy Wi-Fi on my phone in this airport. I was like, I, I think, <laughs> I think Luna is like probably programmatically going to zero. They're just hyperinflating the supply of it. Um, and I talked to a couple of buddies after the fact, you know, Luna unwound to zero, but Bitcoin is still like 30 K, right? Like it, I think it wicked to 25,000 or something and recovered a bit. Um, and I talked to some, some buddies and some friends of friends. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, wait, I did, I just kind of realized like there was tens of, you know, 10, $20 billion of, of stable coin promises that just evaporated. Um, and just like, you know, I hadn't lived through a financial crisis, but, uh, had read about a bunch of, of history and great financial crisis and, um, other historical, uh, case studies. And it was like, this seems like a contagion event. Um, so that was like, I've always had a distrust for, for yield products. Um, but that was kind of the first time that I said, okay, I think there's like, if you look at the yield products in crypto, right. And how they, how they, uh, generated the yield, it was futures, arbitrage, GBTC arbitrage. And then both of those disappeared in the earliest phases of the bull market. The last one that everyone kind of ponied onto was, was UST. Um, so when that blew up, it was like, okay, there's, there's some big time contagion. Um, and so, you know, Celsius go down the list. Right. Um, I think was able to spot a lot of those, um, and, and really kind of like turned pretty, pretty bearish on Bitcoin crypto, like not on a long-term uh, thesis, but, uh, just near term, medium term, uh, just given the fact that there's no lender of last resort um, in this ecosystem and uh, and the fact that, you know, there's all this bad debt out there and the counterparty risk just kind of ravaged the whole thing. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I didn't know that FTX was going to implode in, in June, um, but obviously the signs were there. I don't think many people <laughs> spotted that. No. Uh, I, I, think, I think they did a good job of kind of gaslighting everyone. Uh, I remember we were in Miami and we're driving around and we saw the massive Tom Brady or Giselle adverts and they were doing their TV spots. It, it felt like every crypto trader on Twitter, the, the ones I do follow, they're all using FTX. I just assumed they were the, like the next Binance. They just managed to somehow build a massive uh, customer base and you had some unique products and were doing all right. I just, I had no idea what was going on in the background and I know a couple of people had spotted it, but... I think I caught everyone of God. Yeah. Um, funny enough, like I, I was, uh, you know, over the summer and, and none of like the outward facing like influencers or whatever. Um, but it was like literally like some anon crypto, like literally like a camel and uh, like a couple other, like, like a cat and uh, a few other like anonymous crypto guys that I interact with. Um, we're just constantly shitposting about how SBF was a fraud and about how FTX was like a domino and all this thing. And I was like, I just kept it in the back of my mind because these guys are like very, very smart traders. Um, like just like very, just, um, yeah, they're just like just fantastic traders. They're not, they're not DGENs. They're actually very objective bull and bear. Um, and so I, I kind of, I was DMing one of them and I was like, hey, like, uh, why does Sam, because the Voyager came out and they went bankrupt and Voyager uh, said, uh, they released their loan book and they're like, oh yeah, one of our, uh, one of our creditors or uh, one of our, yeah, one of our creditors or debtors, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Alameda Research owes us 370 million. Um, and I DM this guy and I go, why does Sam have his hand in every bucket shop in this space? And he goes, you're starting to realize, huh? And he sent me a, a document, uh, a screenshot of a document. And it was, it was from 2019 and it was the Alameda Research pitch deck. And it was 15% uh, fixed rate loans. We have one investment product and it was uh, slides and it showed their performance and it was just up only with no volatility. And if like, if maybe Danny, if you want to show this or uh, if you look at like what Madoff, the, the like Madoffs. I was about to say that. I was just about to say the last two nights uh, we've been watching the new Netflix yeah. series about um, uh, Madoff. Well, I say that, I mean, I've, <laughs> I fell asleep, but Danny's been watching it. Has it been any good? It's pretty good so far, yeah. Yeah, I've watched about the first five minutes. But if if you look at Madoff's like return, uh, like his returns over the years, it was up only with like no downside volatility. So he outperformed the S and P every time, and and but he did it with no with no volatility to the downside. And um, I I took I, I took that deck and I sent it around a couple times, and I said, no idea if this is real, but I I suspect it's fake because if the, if they actually did this, because it was an Alameda pitch deck from the 2018 19 bear market. And it shows the the price of Bitcoin and ETH just tanking uh, with like, and it, and it went down. Bitcoin went down eighty percent on a ton of volatility. Like, it, like you know, there's huge bear market rallies and all this, um, as you probably remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alameda's performance was up only. And I, I sent it around to a couple of buddies, and I was like, no idea if this is real. Um, and I didn't want to post it to Twitter because, like, you know, these guys were like the titans of you know the bear market. Like, they were bailing everybody out, and I wasn't willing to stake my reputation on some like a non tip. Um, but I said, you know, if this is true, these guys are running a Ponzi. Um, and you know, fast forward two months. Um, and you know, like, like I'm pretty bearish on almost all crypto coins or whatever, but fast forward two months and that the CoinDesk Alameda balance sheet gets leaked. And it was like, Oh, 
these guys, uh, Alameda Research, you know, the, the titan hedge fund of the crypto industry has, you know, 14 billion of assets against 8 billion in liabilities. And the assets are their own exchange token, like seven or $8 billion of it. And a bunch of other Solana ecosystem coins with no liquidity. None of these things have liquidity, um, but especially FDT, it's their own exchange token, which they're the primary market maker of, and they're collateralized uh, against it, <laughs> collateralized loans. Um, and so at, at that point, I was uh, fairly, I was, I mean, I was certain that FTX um, was, or at least Alameda was, was functionally insolvent. The question was whether FTX and Alameda <laughs> had a relationship, which we all know how that ended. Um, but I mean, the, the, the sad thing is like this whole thing convolutes like Bitcoin, right? Like FTX collapses because someone's running a fraudulent uh, scam and, and all of a sudden, you know, your friend is like, hey dude, what's happening with Bitcoin? And it's, it's, it's this realization that, um, and I think that, you know, there was obviously people knew that there was leverage and speculation and whatever, but that, you know, the golden, uh, the, the freedom money enabled or is, is enabling, has enabled somewhat of like a golden age of fraud, right? In the form of blockchains and tokens and, you know, the whole ecosystem, right? Yeah. Do you think uh, if there'd been no Alameda, just uh, FTX had just been its own entity, do you think it would have survived or do you think it was just... Well, here's the interesting thing is that, um, and, and uh, Danny, you might be able to, to, to pull this up, um, is in 2019, um, Sue Zhu, yeah. uh, former uh, head or, or co-founder of Three Arrows Capital that went bust in the whole Luna Ponzi. Um, and, they, and these guys were like also like one of the best performers, like titans of the industry during the bull market, you know, alleged billionaires, et cetera. Um, they, they published, Sue Zhu published, uh, those two slides I'm referring to of the Alameda pitch deck. And he published them with like a, you know, like a, a thinking emoji or like a, a, a suspicious emoji. Um, and then uh, quote retweeted that uh, a couple months later. And he goes, oh, these are the guys uh, that are spinning up a BitMEX competitor with a new ICO, um, like basically because they ran out of money. Um, if you look up maybe like Suzu BitMEX, you'll find that quote tweet. Um, but it was like basically whatever Ponzi they were running, to, to get those Bernie Madoff style returns. Well, they ran out of, of greater fools. So what did they do? They launched FTT from nothing. They spun it up from nothing and they launched FTX. And then from there, you know, they 2020 and the whole DeFi explosion, they, they started, they basically copy and pasted Solana. There it is. Right. So, uh, these guys are now trying to launch a BitMEX competitor and an ICO and, and do an ICO for it. And the ICO is FTT. So these guys were, were commingling, um, maybe not commingling funds, but the FTX uh, product. No as, downside in bold. Yeah. yeah let me, so this is the um, packages. We offer one investment product, 15% annualized fixed rate loans, no lockup. We can accept both fiat and crypto and can pay interest and non-relating in either. We can take on another 200 million in capital and achieve returns that beat traditional crypto markets. For investors with specific risk, risk profiles, we're happy to discuss custom packages. For investments of 50 million or more, we are willing to discuss higher rates of return. These loans have no downside. No I downside. Mean, that is, no downside in, in bold. Yeah, yeah. No downside in bold. We guarantee full payment, the principal and interest, enforceable under US law and established by all parties' legal counsel. I mean, how is that enforceable? Because clearly it isn't. It's a lie. Okay, we're extremely confident we'll pay this full amount. In the unlikely case, 
where we lose more than 2% over a month, we will give all investors the opportunity to recall their funds and we still guarantee full repayment. I mean, can you imagine the conversation? They said, let's put this shit together. Yeah, yeah, no. So I saw this in the summer and immediately was like, no, that's like a hit job, a reputational hit job. Like I, I didn't, I, I'll post anything and everything. Like I've, I've made a lot of friends, Peter, uh, in the crypto industry. Yep. I've made a, a certain amount of enemies um, just off of my willingness to, um, sorry, I kicked a wire, um, off my willingness to just like call BS on things, um, whether it's, you know, crypto scams or like, you know, uh, calling out like Celsius and Alex Mashinsky or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't. I don't really necessarily care um, about what people think. Like, I'm. I'll stand up for what's right, but I didn't post anything about it because I was like, "Well, this is obviously fake." I mean, come on. Like, I didn't see that Suzu tweet because, um, <laughs> like, it was so obviously a, a Ponzi. Like, like no risk, no downside. All that. Like, these things don't exist in capital markets. It's not a thing. Um, and so the fact that they were able to do this, raise potentially like at least tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, and then. Once they ran out of money, launch an ICO, launch an exchange, and continue to the scam for three more years. I think that says something about the crypto ecosystem in general. And maybe that's over. Maybe that era is done. Like the the scamming ICO, you know, perpetual motion machine hot ball of money. Um, but maybe it's not. You know, and and like that's the, the whole thing with like Bitcoin being cross collateralized with all this garbage. Um, that's like the one thing where, you know, I think it would be best if we could, if we could leave it behind. Um, unfortunately, you know, Bitcoin is freedom money and, and it, uh, you know, people can use it how they wish. So, Well, so we lived through 2017, the ICO bubble. I, uh, I definitely bought a few ICOs. Um, uh, wasn't very successful with them, certainly towards the end of it. I remember putting two Bitcoin into some uh, ICO that was like linked in on the blockchain. Yeah. And it, I, it pretty much died before it happened. And by the time it launched, uh, my tokens were worth, I don't know, hundreds, maybe a hundred dollars. And that to me was the, I thought the end of it, but uh, they've just been repackaged. The the thing is, uh, these platforms like Ethereum, they're designed to allow people to do this. So if you ask me, do we think it's done? I don't think it's done. Yeah. I mean, Ethereum's entire purpose is to create these things. Yeah. Like, like, ICOs or DApps or DeFi or all these, like, like even like, I, I think some of the stuff's cool, right? Like Ethereum can do a ton of things that Bitcoin cannot and will never, ever be able to, to do um, by design, right? Like, and the people that say like, and you know, oh, but Bitcoin and DeFi is coming. Well, it's not. Like, like in the way that Ethereum has DeFi, it's not. Um, and first off, like DeFi is in decentralized finance. It's not decentralized. Um, it is fine, finance, like potentially, but you're using centralized stable coins. You can even, we can go down the rabbit hole of like Ethereum, the OFAC compliance stuff. I'm sure you've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, but like Bitcoin will never be that. And that's a good thing. Um, but Ethereum's entire shtick is like creating tokens, swapping tokens, leveraging tokens. Um, and ultimately, what's the value of these tokens? Like who's the marginal buyer of insert blank uh, altcoin here? There, like, there is none. Um, you know, there is some at some points in the bull market, right? It's like, assign a narrative or whatever. But like all things, these things return to their terminal value, um, which is zero. zero. Which is zero, or yeah. or trending forever, like lower. Like, look at any altcoin, uh, or you know, most every altcoin, and, it, and if it looks good, just give it some time. Look at any altcoin in Bitcoin terms, right? It's just making lower highs. 
Um, yeah, there's something outperforming Bitcoin at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> what's that? Monero. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, but that's an in, that's an interesting enough thing. Like I don't care when people say it's a shit coin. Shut up. I, there's something interesting enough in the Monero, and I understand why people use it. I understand why it's built a community. But I, I just the only way I see this going away, Dylan, is with massive SEC enforcement on exchanges. Mm-hmm. People are, I'm, and I know things like maybe Binance in yeah jurisdictions outside the US. People will do it, but I see that's the I just. If you're going to have a free market, you're going to have a free market for scammers as well. It's just always going to be that way. Mm -hmm. And all the crypto degens, when it picks up, they'll come flying back in. They'll all start trading this shit again. Uh, Multi-coin capital will probably invest in a bunch of them. I mean, the thing I'd be saying is, do you think multi-coin capital are going to get out of tokens? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, you know, multi-coin capital is down 90% 90 this year. Um, But they're above their benchmark. Yeah, their benchmark is is Solana, which is down ninety five percent. So you know they're they're beating something. Um, no, I like the the thing with with crypto, um, and to an extent, like this is true of, of Bitcoin as well. This is true of like the the, the finance up only boom that happened uh, post twenty twenty. Like people believed uh, this, like regardless of whether it was like Tesla, right, um, or the SPACs, or uh, literally and like pick any like Ark Invest uh, or like. But like, why did Bitcoin go up? It went up. Um, well, I mean, there was an attributed thesis to it, which I believe still to be true. I mean, and maybe, you know, we're the idiots at the table. <laughs> but um, if you look at it, why anything went up, it went up because that had marginal flows and there was a, an inelasticity to its supply relative to the demand, right? So the, the altcoin, you know, XYZ went up 10,000% relative to Bitcoin's 300 or 500% um, because... There was really no one selling or transacting these tokens, and a small amount of flows pushed the exchange rate up like a billion percent, right? So it's the same reason why like any of these financial assets outperform is just because it had marginal flows. But like when you try to sell the thing, like Alameda's tokens that spun up, it's created a one of the things it created. It was called Maps. It was a yeah, DeFi wallet integrated with a map application, like like a literal like Apple Maps, Google Maps. It was a DeFi wallet with with its own token, of course, because of course you need a token uh, on a Maps platform. And uh, uh, the the fully diluted value of this thing was like ten billion dollars. Like so, so all the tokens times its price. Um, like really? Um, and this was like, and, and and you know Sam was saying all these things. It was it was, it was the same everywhere. The same with MultiCoin Capital or Solana. Like Solana was like a hundred billion dollar asset. Like. Like, think about $100 billion, right? And so, you know, um, will Multicoin exit their bags? Well, who are they selling to, right? Who's a, who's a marginal buyer of Solana with, for $100 million or whatever it is? Uh, and that's why FT, FTX collapsed because they, they were collateralized against something. They tried to sell it and there's no buyers. Like, you couldn't even sell a billion dollars of Bitcoin right now without some pretty serious slippage. Like, um, and likewise, if you tried to buy a billion of Bitcoin, like, it would it would be quite a quite a move but that's that is still quite impressive for bitcoin that there would be there would be billion, buyers yeah there'd be buyers it would be a billion dollar liquidity yeah um some of these things there just wouldn't be no like it would you would end up you you would run out of buyers yeah the, the reason that bitcoin never dies is because there are marginal stackers and hodlers last resort and so and you know and some people like like the legacy macro guys or whatever like make fun of the stupid hodlers or whatever but there's a reason why Bitcoin's crashed ninety percent, four or five, like nine, uh, eighty-five percent, four or five times, and it never dies. 
and it's always a bubble. It's either a bubble or it's dead. And the, the chart, the Bitcoin chart in linear terms always looks like a euphoric bubble or a tragic burst. <laughs> There's no in between ever. This show is brought to you by BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, and they are trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they also have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best Bitcoin casino that you can go to. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only a Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs too. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also today, we have Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of their Nano S Plus. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, before I even started this podcast. And I absolutely love the S Plus. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot l-e-d-g-e-r dot com yeah but i can't i you know i romanticize the thesis that like this is by design this is how bitcoin grows mm-hmm. that it uh latches on to that uh human emotions of fear and greed mm-hmm. and it just takes us through these cycles and then maybe like maybe this was in satoshi's design you know with with the halving maybe that's within his design that he understood because he seems to understand a lot he understood uh, human emotions and human trading emotions and maybe he knew that there was no way this thing could just have gradual constant growth it had to have these cycles and we could do these step changes and with each step change we bring in like 10x more people and we lose some but uh, this is the only way it could grow maybe i mean i romanticize about it no, I, I whether he designed it to be that way or he just designed it and it became that um i think yeah you're you're right in the sense that I don't think it could monetize another way, right? Like Bitcoin, like there is no way it would ever appreciate like Bernie Madoff or, or the Alameda equity curve, right? It's never just going to go up 1% a day and then 1% and 1% and never go down. Because if it did, people would just piling and buy more. And then and they'd leverage, you know, and they'd, you know, borrow money and do all these things and throw their life savings into it and it would go up 200% in four days. And, and then they would exit, it would crash. So it's almost impossible for that to happen. Yeah, and I think that's, that's by design. The fact that Bitcoin, and, and it's trading with relatively like low volatility now because you know every market maker and hedge fund and exchange and you know they all got wiped. Um, but 
I think that that sign of low volatility is almost like a sign. And maybe, yeah, could we go lower? Of course. Like if, if, you know, equities limit down and the dollar goes to the moon and volatility explodes everywhere, then Bitcoin's going to crash for the time being. But the sign of the low volatility now, I think, is somewhat of like a sign of, and we've seen this in the past, of like relative seller exhaustion. So, I mean, maybe you play this clip in, in six months and you're like, oh, you know, seller exhaustion and Bitcoin's down 50%. Who knows, right? But like, what do you see typically with, with any financial asset, but with Bitcoin in, in, you know, in the past when Bitcoin was just like, did you know, 3K for six months and everyone was like, oh my God, this thing is so boring, right? And then all of a sudden, like a few, a few funds buy, some, some flows come in and then shorts cover in what? It went to 12K in what, like a, a month, two months? Yeah, let me ask you some of that stuff that you'll understand. You say shorts covering. Are their shorts still waiting for it to go lower? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, there's, there's uh, shorts on, there's like, I mean, open interest, right? For every short, there's a long. Um, and, and depending on collateral type and, and where they entered or not, they can be in or out of uh, position. Um, but oftentimes, like when you see, like for instance, here's a, an example that you'll probably um, remember quite well. In the middle of 2021, when uh, when you know there was the Elon thing and the and the China FUD and all of that, and Bitcoin was off its high of 60,000 and it kind of muddled around 50,000 and went to 40,000, and then one afternoon, I think it was the morning on East Coast time, it went from 40,000 to 30,000 in like 25 minutes, and just like vroom, and it was like everything was down in, in crypto like 30, 35 percent in in a matter of like an hour. Um, well, like why did that happen? And it was it was mechanical. It was like there was a whole bunch of leveraged longs who were using Bitcoin as collateral and they were all became four sellers at once. Um, and that was just because of where they purchased. And so like likewise, if you think of like literally the inverse of that, right? Like for instance, there's a whole bunch of guys on Wall Street going to CME futures and using the new Bitcoin futures ETF or even the Bitcoin short futures ETF. And they're using that to, to short sell uh, Bitcoin and, they're, they're, and it's paper denominated, right? So it's USD collateral to short Bitcoin. Like if price starts to creep up and you need buyers for price to start to creep up, but eventually like they have to buy, they are forced buyers at some point. And so like, like when Bitcoin in, in 2019 was at 3K and it went to 6K and like it was up 25% in a day and then it went to 6K in like a week, that was like more, that was more mechanical than anything. It wasn't like there was like a flood of new buyers that doubled the market cap. It was uh, old, old sellers that became forced buyers. It was short sellers covering. And so like, I think that's, you know, and we're seeing that right now with like today, Bitcoin uh, or uh, Bitcoin miners, Coinbase, MicroStrategy, they're all up like 10, 15, 20% or something. Yeah, what's that about? What, why is that happening? Well, they're just, it's just, they're much more liquid than Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's people shorting them. And so if you try to, sh- if you try to cover short, if you try to, if you're a forced buyer into a liquid market, the price explodes. And, and the chart's still super ugly. Yeah, but why today? Why suddenly all these pop in? Bitcoin's up 3% and the stock market's up too. And you try to cover your marathon short and there's no sellers and you have to, you have to, you, you have to buy higher. And is it covering that short or is that some kind of like uh, fear that this like 3% up might be a signal of the bottom? We could see higher highs, like, sorry, not higher highs, but uh, maybe like a 10, 20% over the coming months. Or is that literally just a reaction to 3%? Yeah, I mean it's it's all it's all relative, and these things are almost like they trade like the miners trade like derivatives of Bitcoin in a way. Okay, like it's like almost like leverage Bitcoin. Like I mean, their operations are like marathon is literally like 
they have liabilities in dollars, they produce Bitcoin, they're quite literally like leveraged Bitcoin operation. I mean, if you look at all these charts, like Marathon, Coinbase, MicroStrategy, they're still super ugly despite being up big today. Like they still look terrible. Right. Um, so it's not like, you know, uh, if something's down 90% and goes up by 25%, like it's still down like 87% or something. Like it's not that impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's like when we get, if this is the bottom or when we get through the bottom, you know, and some people are, are in, the, in the market for that. Some people are just passively acquiring the thing. And I respect both, right? Like, um, but it will be a combination of new money coming in, right? And, and par- partially that's like dollar liquidity tied type things. And it'll also be like the people that were short selling and waiting to cover, waiting for lower prices, waiting. Maybe they even shorted into the lows. Like they're going to cover and there's not going to be many sellers left. Because like think about all the selling that happened over the last 12 months. Yeah. Like all of the forced selling. And like, if you haven't sold Bitcoin in the last 12 months and you're a hodler, what, what are you going to sell for? And like, yeah, maybe it's like we go into a recession and you sell what you can because you lost your job. Like that's like, that's certainly an aspect of it. Maybe you are a Bitcoin and Tesla holder and Tesla went down a bunch and like you need some cash, right? Like these are all things that are going to happen at the margin, but like the brunt of the selling has happened. You know, we're down 80%. Every firm in the space has blown up. We've had three exchanges blow up. Like <laughs> Dylan's calling the bottom. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's going to be the title of the show, Danny. Bottom Di- is in. The bottom is in oh, with no. Dylan Leclerc. <laughs> oh no! But in quotes, like the Willy Woo shows. But in quotes, <laughs> <laughs> fucking quotes. So, uh, what? What specific? Like, uh, I don't know your work structure, uh, but you are relentless in producing uh, content. What is it you're specifically always looking for? Or are you just dealing with whatever comes in? Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, full-time research, essentially. Um, I mean, we, so with Bitcoin Magazine, I just came from uh, the, the HQ. Um, we produce a, re- a research newsletter called Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Um, that's part of my day. Um, but more so, it's like, it's, my day's not spending writing that. My day is spent uh, kind of studying, researching what to, to write. Not for that specifically, like I... Um, I, I work with a, a fund. I, I do a couple of things. Um, have a my own company where we like consult with people on Bitcoin um, and Bitcoin related things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I spend probably eight to ten hours a day reading and uh, kind of looking at all this stuff. And also, like, really, I mean, a lot of increasingly as I've uh, come to talk to more and more people in the legacy space, it's like explaining Bitcoin to boomers uh, and like and like explaining like. FTX imploding and like why that's not like a death kneel to Bitcoin is like something that like takes time. There's a lot of nuance to these things. Um, so like that's kind of like, you know, making a sense of this whole uh, shit storm is certainly part of my day. So the boomers are still interested. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yes, uh, most of the companies that are going to blow up have blown up, uh, but there is one important uh, situation that's currently kind of bubbling away that people are not sure how it's going to play out. So uh, Genesis trading Mm -hmm. and what's going on with GBTC. So we had Steve McClurgan the other day. We've talked about that with him. Um, It's actually affected one of my sponsors. Gemini is a sponsor. They hold 900 million of their customer funds. Um, What's your read on it? Or let's um, just go back a step. Do you want to explain what GBTC is to the listener? Sure. And then talk about the trade that, uh, everyone was piling in, what the benefits were, why we're negative, 
And then let's get into the details. Sure. So uh, GBDC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, was founded in 2013, and it was uh, maybe 2014. Um, but it was, uh, and it trades over the counter OTC. Um, so it was really the first thing uh, in uh, you know, kind of Wall Street or, or legacy funds could access um, that was like Bitcoin exposure. So it's a closed end trust, meaning um, you could bring 100 bucks or um, an equivalent amount of Bitcoin to Grayscale. Uh, you'd give it to them, and then they'd give you shares of GBTC, an equal amount, um, or at least an equal amount of, of net asset value um, in this wrapper, in this GBTC wrapper. Um, and at first, uh, it was locked up for 12 months, so you couldn't sell it or uh, exchange it elsewhere uh, over the counter. Um, but that changed to six months in 2020. Uh, but this product has a built-in 2% fee forever. Um, so whatever you hold, that, that net asset value, uh, they take 2% of that, divide by 365, or like technically it's like probably divided by 252, like the amount of like uh, Wall Street trading days, and they shave a little bit off that net asset value as a fee in perpetuity. Uh, and that's what you sign up for when you, when you uh, uh, redeem shares of the trust. Um, or not redeem, but uh, create shares of the trust. And, and the reason to buy it is because you can't get direct exposure to Bitcoin, you just... You just want somebody else to handle that exposure for you. There's yeah, there's, there's so there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because uh, Grayscale was the only product on the market for such a long time. So, for instance, um, it traded at a premium to net asset value for almost its entire its, its existence. So, uh, I told you, you, you know, you bring a hundred dollars to Grayscale and they give you your, your GBTC shares. Well, for the longest time, for instance, if it was trading with a twenty percent premium, you would go to Grayscale, you'd give them a hundred bucks or a hundred bucks of Bitcoin you'd get $120 of GBTC shares that has a net asset value of 100 bucks, but on the market, it's worth 120. Um, so whether you were interested in the Bitcoin itself or you just were interested in the arbitrage, um, there was almost like this kind of ability to pick up free money for the longest time because it was the only option for Roth IRAs and Wall Street and whatever. Um, and really this kicked off in a big way. Like they held Bitcoin and they held, they held like 200, 100, 200,000 Bitcoin going into 2020. Um, but Post COVID, you know, money printer go burr. Uh, there's all these Bitcoin catalysts. Here's GBTC trading at a premium to its net asset value. This became a real popular trade on the street and for crypto funds. Um, and so a punt, a bun, and, and they switched that 12 month lockup to a six month lockup. So a ton of funds came in, and whether they were uh, shorting Bitcoin and buying the GBTC or they were just outright buying, uh, you know, taking their Bitcoin or dollars to Grayscale to get the shares, they pummeled into this trade. And like specifically, like say at the end of the year in 2020, some funds literally would go to, would go to Grayscale like with a couple days left in the year just to mark up their books. They'd give the, they'd give the 100 bucks to Grayscale, they'd get 120 bucks of GBTC back uh, that they can't even move yet and they'd mark up their their year-end funds and be like look at look at our net asset or look at our uh, performance this year right because all of a sudden there's that you say 20 percent uh, performance um, and so not saying they did that with their whole fund but there was an incentive to do so a massive one um, and so um, as it turns out right uh, Genesis which is a subsidiary of digital currency group um, which uh, is the owner of the grayscale product um, has a lending desk um, and they were um, allowing all these funds, uh, both in TradFi and crypto, um, to pledge uh, crypto assets, Bitcoin, shares of GBTC as collateral. Um, so I could go to DCG, and, and funds did this, specifically, you know, Three Arrows Capital, um, I believe BlockFi, um, although don't quote me on that, and a few other funds went to uh, Digital Currency Group. They got shares of GBTC. They pledged them with Genesis, borrowed more money, whether in dollars or Bitcoin, 
um, went back, did it again, did it again, did it again. Um, and so in this process, uh, like if you think of the bull run and the catalyst, everyone thinks a sailor, which is true. You know, he was like preaching Bitcoin uh, institutional kind of adoption, all this. Um, but Sailor bought 100,000 Bitcoin. Right now he has 130,000 Bitcoin. Grayscale bought uh, 400,000 Bitcoin from, say, the start of 20, like about 400,000 Bitcoin from the start of 2020 to when they stopped buying in February of 21. Um, 400,000 Bitcoin. At some, like, some days they literally like they announced the flows and it was like 15,000 Bitcoin. They just market bought. Um, and so when prices, like, like, like we said, prices set at the margin, and if there's not any sellers, right, price is going to explode. So GBTC was kind of like a quiet biggest catalyst in the bull market. And all these funds levered up um, to put on this trade because it was free money. Um, but what happened was this trade got arbitraged so hard and that people created so, much, uh, so many GBTC shares um, while either shorting Bitcoin or maybe hedging. Um, and eventually selling these shares after a six-month lockup, that the premium that was historically always a premium or like 99% of the time a premium went to a discount uh, to net asset value. Um, and so the day that that premium went to a discount, GBTC, Grayscale, stopped buying shares. So in February of 2021, Grayscale stopped purchasing Bitcoin because why would you bring $100 to get $99 back in something that you can't access for six months and doesn't have liquidity that Bitcoin does. So there's no incentive to, to buy it, to, to create any more shares of GBTC anymore. Um, and it's an illiquid product. And so as it turns out, um, not only were funds doing this, but uh, DCG itself was going to Genesis, borrowing money and, and uh, buying GBTC on the market to attempt to prop up that discount to net asset value to get it back to, a, to, to flat or to a premium again. It sounds a, a little bit like what Luna was doing. <laughs> uh, There's synergies in that you're trying to essentially manipulate the price. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, maybe not what Luna was doing. I, uh, honestly, maybe the parallels, and it's a little different, but the parallels are maybe more of like what Alameda was doing in the sense of okay. uh, parent company, subsidiary that were supposedly not related to each other. Um, you know, using leverage and, and pledging their own shitcoin. And I understand that, like, FTT, there was nothing backing FTT. Like, um, legally, the Bitcoin backs the GBTC trust, the, Grays the Grayscale Bitcoin trust. But, and, like, and, and legally, it's, it's the shareholders that have title to the Bitcoin. The only problem is there's no redemption um, possibility. So, so if there's, like, three arrows was huge in this trade, um, when all this started to blow up, Three Arrows, um, and I think BlockFi was one of the customers, um, or one of the counterparties of Three Arrows. Um, the Bitcoin exchange rate starts to go down. They have these loans from BlockFi. BlockFi is like, hey, man, margin call. BlockFi starts to sell off the GBTC because, like, that's the collateral. And, but the problem is, and even Bitcoin during certain, like, deleveragings doesn't have all that much, like, it has buy-side liquidity, but, you know, if you're trying to sell, like, $5 billion of an asset and, you know, that's not typical, like, the exchange rate's going to go down. Um, and so with GBTC, it does a lot less volume than Bitcoin does. And so you see during every single one of these kind of, like, whether it's the Luna implosion or the FTX implosion, Bitcoin went down, but that GBTC discount went down more because there was four sellers of, of, that, of this product. And as, a, as it turns out, you know, uh, DCG was, was kind of, and, and you can, like, I'm not a legal expert, but you, know, you can argue that there was sufficient disclosures or, 
or not about, you know, the company doing these things. Um, and, and, you know, they really had their hands on both all of the upside catalysts in this bull market and many of the downside catalysts too. But it seems like they didn't really need to do it. Uh, I can understand why they want to prop up the price. Um, but it seems like if you said there's a management fee of 2% of perpetuity, um, <laughs> even with the, even with the a discount, they're still getting their 2% in perpetuity. 30 Bitcoin a day. Yeah. I mean, 30 Bitcoin a day. They didn't need to do it. Nope. And I don't know what the, the kind of strategy behind it was, but they're trying to, they're trying to push against the natural market forces that's pushing that into a discount. Yep. Um, it seemed like, I don't know, it just it seems pointless to have done it because one, it's risk. Yep. Not only risk for them, but risk for Genesis, risk for Genesis customers, potential legal risk. Yep. Why do it? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of many other things than, than greed. Um, and, you know, I'm not one to, you know, like judge, you know, do, do what you want. But, uh, you know, the market forces are certainly uh, kind of, it's like a, there's a reckoning uh, coming. Um, like just, just off of Bloomberg headlines, uh, the SEC and the DOJ and all that are, are looking into uh, the, the grayscale D, uh, DCG operations. Um, there is... And we'll see how it plays out. Um, there is an activist campaign to redeem GBTC that's gaining uh, plenty of traction right now. Um, what, but, you, what is that? Can you talk to me about that? Uh, yeah. So uh, there is um, organized by, um, in part, uh, David Bailey, uh, redeemedgbtc.com. Um, it's somewhat of a, a coalition to organize uh, GBTC shareholders um, to get uh, some form um, and, and, and what capacity is yet to be known. Um, there's not an official planned action yet, more so just a way to uh, organize and coordinate uh, shareholders, right? Because uh, 600,000 Bitcoin, um, ten, like billions and billions of dollars of value are are locked in Hotel California with no way out uh, with, with this company that may or may not uh, face bankruptcy um, and is, you know, owes money to all these, um, like owes money to Gemini's Earn product and, and all these other counterparties. Um, they, you know, they have, they have this really golden goose of, a, of an asset, which is this grayscale Bitcoin trust. Um, and so, you know, at trading at like price equivalent of if Bitcoin's at 17,000 uh, and it's trading at a 50% discount, right? Like that's Bitcoin trading at, eight and a half thousand bucks. Um, and so like equivalent, right? So, so a lot of people that have bought GBTC have gotten screwed and this is people in Roth IRAs, this is institutions, et cetera. So, um, and you, you know, the SEC for what good reason or not, isn't allowing an ETF, which an ETF would fix these flaws, right? Cause an ETF, you, you know, every dollar of buying pressure, every dollar of selling pressure is a dollar of Bitcoin that's acquired or sold, um, which is not what happens today. Um, the, the grayscale, no, no Bitcoin can leave that that vault. Um, so redeem GPTC is is a. We'll see if it's successful, um, but it's certainly gaining plenty of steam. I know firsthand there are are big big boy institutions uh, that are that are that are getting involved. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I'm no legal expert, but I think there's certainly uh, more so than ever. There's a risk of uh, not a risk, but you know it would certainly be a tragedy if uh, you know if I was Barry Silbert. Um, and I don't know him, I have nothing against him, uh, but he, you know, it would be the fumble of a century, uh, to, to lose that, that cash cow. Well, 
the we brought this up the other day. We were talking about how one of the most interesting parts of this kind of bear market cycle and the number of the people who are either billionaires or believed to be billionaires and to be believed to be some of the most successful people in the industry have taken ridiculous risks, not only with their own capital, other people's capital, reputation. Some have uh, are certainly risking uh, jail time. I mean, uh, I've, yeah. I've also seen Mashinsky's being sued by the New York AG. Um, but so many people with great reputation, certainly credible reputations. Yep. You know, I mean, if you're Barry, maybe some of the Bitcoin Maxis don't like you. Yeah. But like good reputations and serious amounts of money yep. and they've taken this massive risk and they've wrecked themselves, wrecked other people's, wrecked their reputation, wrecked their career and potentially facing jail. I just don't understand. I mean, I was talking to Danny saying, look, if we could take this, you know, with the podcast, if we could take this big risk and we might be able to 10x our money, but if we fuck it up, we're going to be wrecked and in jail. We wouldn't do it. We're not fucking more. So I don't understand why these people have done it. I don't understand, Dylan. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, if you just look on public Twitter, um, Barry was, in February, was bragging about buying tens of millions of 50 million, 100 million dollars of Zcash, right? Which is like a bottom, bottom tier shit coin. Right? Yep. So like, again, like, I, I'm not, I don't like relish in the success or failures of others, but like, it's, it's certainly like, uh, you know, at some point, uh, you, you pay the piper. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting that, yeah, I agree. Like so many people had the world and, and lost it all. I mean, Peter, I do ponder though. Um, like, and, and, you know, we're both sitting here we both, we're both surviving. Um, we both didn't lose all of our Bitcoin. At least, uh, I can't, sp- I can't speak for you, but no, I'm good. <laughs> good. I mean, look, uh, yeah. it's, uh, I've accumulated and yeah. certainly I'm under, like if, if you consider, <laughs> I, I'm certainly underwater on some of it. Yeah. I've been accumulating since, uh, Bitcoin was at, but you're not zeroed. No, not at no, all. No, no, no. So, but, but I do wonder, uh, not wonder, but like, I try to be a little empathetic and like, okay. You know, if I was on the cover of, not on the cover of Forbes, but like if I was like, you know, this hotshot billionaire and if you just look at some of the stuff that was happening in the bull market, like Three Arrows Capital was borrowing hundreds of millions of dollars unsecured, no collateral, just an IOU. Like maybe, maybe that, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was tempting to them. Like I, I, I certainly think I would have uh, been a little more prudent. <laughs> in those shoes, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's just, it's pretty mind boggling how many, how many zeros there are. And Forbes, if you look at uh, the, the recent Forbes list of crypto billionaires, they, they marked Barry as a zero. Did they really? Yeah, if you look up, I think they published it on, on December 24th. If you look up Forbes uh, crypto billionaire list, it says Barry Silbert, X billion to now zero. Holy shit. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, that's an estimate, but when you can't pay your loans, I mean, yeah. This show is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Now, one of the most regular emails I receive is people asking how to break into the industry. And Fidelity Investments reach out to me as they are looking to recruit hundreds of digitally native associates to their team to help shape the future of money. Now, Fidelity Investments is a diversified financial services provider with more than $7.2 trillion in client assets under administration and over 1.3 million trades each day. And they have also been pioneers in the Bitcoin mining and asset management space. Now, they started in Bitcoin back in 2014 when they entered the mining space and have continued to grow their team and services ever since. And their in-house fintech incubator is where the teams come up with innovative solutions to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and decentralization. Now, 
you have the chance to join them and directly impact how they deliver financial services to their customers. And they provide the resources, training and development to make you successful in this emergent industry. Now, if you want to learn more about this, then please head over to crypto.fidelitycareers.com. That is crypto.fidelitycareers.com. Next up is my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically. So you just have to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement which you know, that's always something I care about. Now, you do get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount and there is no change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Now, privacy is something I am definitely taking more seriously, and with the recently released Wasabi 2.0, this becomes so much easier. Now, if you do want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also, today we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but whilst we're at the bottom of a bear market, I'm only buying. We're hodlers, right? We hodl through this. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips all through this, and I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini have invested in building leading industry security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. I mean, lending, actually lending to people unsecured is crazy. Yeah, Um, nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, borrowing unsecured is tempting, but, (laughs) uh, you know, I take limited risks in my life with regards to Bitcoin and what we do for work. Yeah my football team and my house like i take limited risks mm. um i say i you know what i say all that dylan in 2017 <laughs> i traded up from 25k uh pounds so thirty two thousand mm. dollars to over a million and then back down to like under 200k in this matter of months and then with the tax bill i had to sell off a lump of bitcoin like i went through mm. a situation like that but then i wasn't i wasn't leveraging other people's money yeah yeah, it was my own risk, mm. but I just, I don't know, man. It's, I just look and th- try and think what's going on in your mind. But then I also, I'm trying to, in, when they realize they're fucked, when they realize, holy shit, this has gone bad. Maybe, they, it may, do you know what it is? Maybe everyone bought the Kool-Aid, like we're going 100K, we're going 150K, we're going 200K. And we didn't get, if you were honest, we didn't get near it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say like, I, I certainly. Uh, I bought the Kool-Aid. Yeah. No, I drank the Kool-Aid and, and, and by the not by the way, but it's much easier to, to manage. And, you know, if you're trading or not, or, you know, managing capital or not, it's, it's a lot harder to manage nine figures, 10 figure positions than it is to manage five, six, seven, even eight figure positions. Right. Yeah. Um, Look at Jeb McCaleb. He yeah. sent me down 0.1 billion, 2.5 to 2.4. I don't know where they're coming up with those numbers, but um, I mean, the, the CZ numbers aren't real either. Uh Cameron and Tyler, that's a that's a big drop. Uh, Brian Armstrong, 
I mean, but Brian's is slightly different. His his drop is just is a cycle drop, right? Yeah, Most of I mean, these people are cycle drops. I mean, he just had, yeah, he has he has equity in a business. Yeah, I mean, and then in the next cycle, that one point five could become fifteen billion. Yeah, uh, so fucking hell, CZ sixty five billion to four point. That, yeah, that sixty five is just wrong. It's just not. Sam needs to be a minus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you on there, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you think? Do you think? Le- what role can leverage play in the, these markets sensibly? Like in the future? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think, and this is when kind of ties to like what people say, like Bitcoin is an uncorrelated thing, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, Bitcoin needs to decouple from equities or whatever. I say the opposite. I'm like, no. If you want Bitcoin to win, like if Bitcoin is to become this like global, whether it's a global reserve currency or don't even, you don't even have to get that far. Bitcoin is like a, a $10 trillion asset, right? 50 trillion, 5 trillion, 2 trillion, like whatever it is. Um, if you want Bitcoin to entrench itself on the asset side of the balance sheet around the world, it's going to be correlated to global equities. It's going to be correlated to the dollar. It's going to, like, that's just the reality of these things. Like, if you look at uh, financial. Why? Well, like, so if you look like, at the. Like, I don't get any of this shit, Dylan. Like, mm. you, you look at, you, you, use, you use language and you talk about marginal buyers and you talk about uh, like all these different t- and it's natural to you and yeah it isn't someone like me mm-hmm. so there's other people listening i know who feel the same okay why like why is it yeah correlated yeah so in the current system uh of fiat money of of, of government backed money um it's money is created through debt so mon- money supply is created through debt and it's actually um, canceled or destroyed when debt the debt is repaid or defaulted upon. Um, so the reason that you get these uh, business cycles or the reason you get these credit cycle booms, whether it's like tech stocks or housing in 08 or um, or just never mind like the the, the business cycles, but uh, the reason that when in 08 when the the, the mortgages are going bad and uh, something completely unrelated to subprime is crashing. That's because um, it's it's all it like the money supply, uh, the assets, the the global balance sheet um, is it's it's all tied together. So you have assets and liabilities. If your asset side is falling, and the liabilities need to be paid, you sell your assets to pay the liabilities. And so in that sense, everything. It, and maybe that's a, a bad explanation. Um, that's good. Um, but for that reason, um, most. Uh, all assets in a way are correlated or at least not correlated, interrelated um, in the sense it's all, it's all based on the credit based system of the dollar or not the dollar, but you know, whatever fiat currency of which the dollar is, is a, a dominant majority. Um, so uh, when, when you have global equity uh, or global stocks falling, right? The reason that like Bitcoin was traded like almost one in one with the NASDAQ was because a lot of the people that own Bitcoin this year or the last couple of years also own tech stocks. They also own equities. They also own, I was going to say housing, but housing doesn't trade on a, a day-to-day market. Um, you know, and so, or, like, or even just basic math, right? Bitcoin, what is Bitcoin's exchange rate? BTC slash USD, not the numerators, Bitcoin, the denominator is the dollar. So what happens when stocks are selling off, right? Or what happens like, uh, you know, the, the dollar wrecking ball, what does that mean? It means the dollar is appreciating against other things, specifically other, other currencies. 
Um, but when you see the dollar up big on a day, you see equities down. You also see Bitcoin down. Why? Well, the denominator of this fraction is increasing. So, so the value of this, of this math equation, BTC divided by USD is decreasing, right? So um, in that sense, like, I think when I say, when someone's like, oh, Bitcoin shouldn't be correlated or it's uncorrelated, it's like, well, I kind of view Bitcoin as like, I, I want it to, to entrench itself on the balance sheet of, of the world. And for that reason, I want it to be correlated to these things. Because if, if ten, uh, you know, 5 billion people own Bitcoin, and if the biggest Wall Street institutions and all the public companies have Bitcoin, like if that's the, the vision of Bitcoin as a, you know, Bitcoin succeeding, Bitcoin's a world reserve currency or world reserve asset or whatever, then it, it will be correlated to, to global risk assets. It will be correlated to the dollar and these other things. And, you know, maybe there's that utopian vision of like, it's going to supersede all those things and it's going to get rid of the dollar. But like, there's a big, big, big journey in between that phase. And, and, and it won't be just like doing its own thing through that transition. On the way to that though, it, does wide scale like usage of Bitcoin not change that? Because if you're getting paid in Bitcoin or if you're paying your mortgage in Bitcoin, like it doesn't matter if the Fed's tightening or if they're printing money, someone's buying it at that time. That's, that's a great question. Um, I, think, I think it's more so the, the fact that in this uh, dollar credit-based system, um, like there is at, at this point now, um, aside from a few examples of like maybe crypto hedge funds or like, a Genesis, uh, a Genesis trading or whatever. No one is is uh, taking. No one has liabilities in Bitcoin. So I mean, maybe if Danny asked you, Peter, hey, I want my salary denominated in Bitcoin terms, um, then that would mean that you are short Bitcoin. You are short a, a stream of Bitcoin over the next twelve months or whatever his salary is. Um, but no one does that. At least now, like right, or at least not in scale. But there is a massive, massive global future, like global short position for dollars. Right, so when the dollar is appreciating a bunch, essentially that's just a short squeeze on the currency. Um, so, so when everything's selling off, it's just a, like people people understand what happened with GameStop, right? It's a, it's a short squeeze. You know, we're gonna we're gonna force the hedge funds to cover. Well, like everybody's short dollars, right? Because if you have student loans, if you have a mortgage, well, I guess you're short pounds, right? Um, but if you are, you know, have any sort of debt, right? The U.S. government is short $30 trillion. They, they are short $30 trillion. So in that sense, that's the reason why things are correlated. Um, and even so, if, even if Bitcoin, you know, has all of this native adoption and, um, you know, organic use, the, the, the real driver of all of this um, it, globally is the, you know, $100 trillion of, of forced buying of dollars, because you're, for, you're short dollars, it's dollar liabilities. And so that's why more or less, not it's all one trade um, because things will outperform and things will underperform. But you know, in the interim, if you just watch stocks, Bitcoin, the dollar, bonds, you'll see they'll move tick for tick, right? You'll see on the second and the minute, the hour, a lot of these things move in tandem. Um, and that's because um, they're all sharing liquidity. Hmm. If that okay. makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. but. If we were to get to a point where uh, you talk about every company having Bitcoin on its balance sheet, um, there was a mass amount of adoption to support that, it, it can't be correlated through that. Is it only correlated at a time where liquidity is low? Yeah. I mean, so so I think there will certainly be, there'll be periods of maybe like... <laughs> the, every four years? <laughs> the, the Maybe periods of the, you know, the... Off, sided decoupling. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think, and, and whether that's like 
you know, there was, there was times during the second uh, double bubble in 2021 where like uh, stocks were down, the dollar was up, volatility was kind of going up and Bitcoin was up like 11%. And it was like, whoa, like, We've decoupled. Like there's, you know, yeah, there's like, yeah, I don't know who's, and now we know that it was Alameda taking their customer money and raising fraudulent venture money and pummeling, like the, the bottom, the day of the bottom in 2021, like Bitcoin flirting around 29K, it dropped below 30K and people were like, oh no, like it's gonna finally going to go lower. And then the stamp of the bottom, Alameda raised 800, uh, FTX raised $800 million and it was like, Boom. And then we started going up only again. And it was like, oh, well, now in hindsight, it was like they were just pummeling money on their own exchange, leveraging it, buying Solana and shitcoins and Bitcoin and all this other stuff. Um, and so like we, you know, quote unquote decoupled. I think like there will be time again in the future um, where there's some, whether it's an idiosyncratic catalyst or, you know, the Saudis or any of these like off-sighted uh, narratives of like, you know, who are the buyers coming in? Like, I do believe that that most people that haven't bought Bitcoin yet at some point in the next 10 years will own some. Um, and there's not that many sellers. You know, there's probably a couple million Bitcoin out there that are going to be parted with. That's one of the beauties of the bear market is all of the psychos that like, you know, that yell at you on Twitter, they buy it all. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that's one of the best parts about yeah. this cleansing process. Um, but it takes time. Um, and, you know, like the big boys, the Paul Tudor Jones, the Druck and Millers of the world, They'll come, they'll come back, um, but they're not dogmatic, they're not religious, um, and you know, um, and when they come, they'll bring billions of dollars. What can you tell me about Silvergate from your side? And just like to know, I'm, I know the company well. Uh, I speak to Alan uh, occasionally. Yeah. Uh, I've seen their press releases this week, uh, but I know you've been tracking it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, uh, like, I mean, there's certainly a lot of, there's like a ton of, uh, allegations and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, just based on like banking regulations and whatever, the whole FTX thing was a real big black eye. Um, basically, Silvergate was like one of the only two banks, Silvergate and Signature, are the only one, like two of the banks uh, that basically deal with crypto companies at scale in the US. Um, there's really tight regulations. Because of all of the stuff that happens in crypto, most banks don't want to touch it. Um, rightfully so or not. Um, Silvergate comes out with a SEN network, um, S-E-N, um, that basically allows crypto companies um, to settle dollars between each other um, uh, on banking rails. Like, so the stable coins exist, but it's almost like a walled garden, right? Like if you want to get the money out, you have to go to like Tether's bank or, you know, USDC. And it's this whole process. But if I can just like have money on on a bank, like as a, as a Coinbase or as a Circle or as a Marathon or, or any of these, like a, as a Gemini, if you just look up Silvergate Bank, banking regulations on Google images. There's like these images of like all of these crypto companies, like some of the most notable in the space and they're all connected. And in the middle, it's like send network, right? So essentially what that did was that gave Silvergate all of these dollar denominated deposits. Um, and as a, as a bank, like as a fractional reserve bank, a Fed member bank, um, they can lend that money out, right? And so that, I mean, that's the banking model today. Um, and the post FTX, it comes out that, you know, Alameda was laundering all this money, um, you know, FTX users who like, it was funny that this didn't come out beforehand, but like, if you wanted to wire money into FTX, you literally sent it to the Alameda bank account. Like a lot of red flags, like in yeah. hindsight, we're like, wait, what? Hold on a second. Um, and so because of that, uh, you know, because of all of the, really the FTX thing, um, there was uh, a ton of people have, have pulled their deposits from Silvergate and as a bank, 
the last thing you want to do is, is have a run on your deposits. And so because of that, um, they've had a run on deposits and what did they do? They, they had to sell a bunch of their portfolio to, to get liquid. Uh, and they had, they had a bunch of debt securities. And if you, you know, what happened in the bond market over the last year, um, you know, bonds went down 20, 25%. So, so they had to s- sell a bunch of bonds at a loss. Um, and so that's why, I mean, the share price has been pummeled. It was, it's down 90% from the highs. It's down 70 something percent since FTX collapsed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've, uh, you know, full disclosure, like I've, I, I was short the stock, um, not anymore, but, uh, more so just as, as a play. Good trade for you. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, look, I like, I like those guys. I've been over there a couple of times. Um, and, uh, I feel like everything I've read, they've managed to survive it and write it out. Yep. Um, I've seen the, I don't know, did you see the press release this week? Uh, I mean, when their, their stock went down 40% in a day? Uh, no, um, they did a press release in relation to, uh, I think they've let some of their team go oh. and um, in terms of like recapitalizing the business. But mm. I mean, I, th- I kind of feel sorry for them in some ways because yeah. I do feel like they're an, uh, like an honest player in the market that's trying to support crypto companies, Bitcoin companies, whatever. Yeah. And we need that. I mean, yeah. banking has always been a challenge for these companies and they've gone out and they've provided the products. Yep. Um, they don't feel like a crypto company when you visit them. They feel like a bank. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they're an honest player. So I like I, I want them to survive and, and work it out. And uh, so it's good to hear your analysis on that. Okay. Uh, before we go off and get some chicken... Um, <laughs> Looking ahead to this year, yeah. what are you looking at? What are you most excited about? I'm I'm interested to see how 2023 plays out in the legacy system. Um, I think last time we talked, uh, it was a little bit dark, and it was less about the crypto and more about like the the macro stuff. Yeah, um, and it was certainly kind of a wild year. Um, you know, biggest fixed income sell off ever. Um, I think we met like just after Ukraine's uh, invasion. Um, yeah, I forget some of the particulars, but I think um, we had a pretty good convo that was like direct bit, yeah a bit doomy yeah like it was, i think it was, like it was a reality check right yeah it was a reality check um i mean i i don't i don't know if uh 2023 is as as doomy but i i think certainly a lot of people are conditioned not so much in bitcoin like i think people in bitcoin and crypto are used to getting kicked in the teeth um but like in legacy uh world they're just in you know investing in general people have been Condition and I say this like I recognize I have full awareness that I say this as a 21 year old like not that I've I'm some like you know uh, wise old sire that has seen 60 years of market cycles but like uh, it seems that people are very conditioned of you know from the up only QE era uh, of you know stocks only go up uh, oh like a slight recession or a slight downturn in equities or bonds or whatever like the Fed's going to step in um, everything can be fine. Um, and, you know, the, the maybe regime change that we saw in 2021 or 2022 in terms of uh, inflation finally showing up, we can't print unlimited money and have no implications anymore. Uh, that's not great for financial assets. Um, and now, you know, the recession, like one of the things I was, I was actually wrong about, um, oh, many things, <laughs> uh, but in, in 2022 was I thought the recession was going to come faster. Um, but, you know, surprisingly resilient economy. Um, and so I, I, I still think that there's some, some pretty big headwinds, um, in terms of like, whether you want to think of it as like a liquidity perspective or just like a business cycle respect, uh, perspective. Like I, I was telling a couple people uh, on Twitter, like, and, and this is just my opinion, but like people are like, oh, this has to be max pain. 
I was like, man, respectfully, like Max Payne is not your, your investment portfolio goes down. Max Payne is like you lose your job and you can't make your mortgage payment. And, and you, you can't find a new job. And you can't find a new job. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's Max Payne. Um, there, I mean, look, there are certainly people in the UK, I can, and that's my lens for living there, yeah. who are living through Max Payne. But yeah. the Max Payne's really hit the, uh, the working class most of all because these are the people whose energy bills have shot up and yeah. they, can't, they can't afford to pay their energy bills or they, they can't afford to pay the energy bills for their... Actually, I think the UK government just announced today they're going they to subsidize. Energy stimmies, yeah. yeah and how much are they doing? 5.5 billion, I think. Yeah, and they yeah. have to do that yeah. because if they don't, companies are going to close because mm-hmm. these companies cannot afford to keep their business open. Yeah. There is certainly pain coming. and, and, and Sorry, there's certainly pain being existed, but that's... I say work, work into middle class. I mean, yeah. I know people who are saying, yeah, I, I just don't put my heating on in the evening now. I've got a hot water bottle and a blanket. I can't fucking afford to do it. And if they're getting squeezed there, it means they're getting squeezed everywhere. Yep. So there are certain people feeling pain. I think there are others who haven't yet seen it. Yeah. No, and like I, I, I'm not calling for like economic Armageddon in a way, but I, I just think like if you think about a lot of the conditions that persisted over the last... You could say 10 years, you could say 20 years, you could even say 40 years of like, okay, we have like this, you know, unipolar world order, like geopolitics in, in an investment sense meant nothing. It was just like kind of smooth sailing. Like, yeah, the, the US kind of like imperialist went over to the Middle East, but like, you know, everyone just didn't really care and like everything was great. Like I, I, that sounds like kind of messed up, but like now we kind of see a lot of these big forces um, in terms of like uh, Russia, China, kind of like challenging the hegemon like I'm no geopolitical strategist. I don't know how to quantify these things, but like there's a tail risk of like Xi invading Taiwan. Like how, like certainly smart people have paid attention to this. Uh, there's a war going on, like basically on the European continent um, with the biggest commodity producer in the world. Like all of these things, the U S is draining its SPR uh, to, to stave off the inflationary pressures, maybe ahead of a hot, hot war conflict. Like all of these things are like, you know, that's not great. Uh, you have Germany, it, uh, you have Germany and the European uh, nations, the UK, that are facing this massive uh, cost of energy increase. And what are they doing? They're like, oh, we're just going to go issue more debt, right? And, like, and, the, and the central banks are like, yeah, we're going to taper our balance sheet and stop buying debt. And so what did the bond market do? The yields soar up and bonds sell off. And it's like, okay, yeah, if you want to issue more debt, like what happened with the, with the gilt market mm. and the pound earlier? Uh, this year was like, okay, we're going to cut taxes at the same time as we subsidize all the energy bills and the gilt market, um, like UK bonds just absolutely tanked, yield soared and the pound crashed. And they're like, okay, whoa, like we're not going to do that. And they scrapped the, they scrapped the government for like the second time, like total mess, right? Yep. Total um, mess. So, I mean, do I know exactly what's coming? No, I don't. Um, but I, I expect turbulence, I guess is what I'll say. Um, and it, well, what are you optimistic about? Yeah, that's what you asked me, and yeah. I completely, I completely do. No, I said what you're looking forward to, okay. but like looking forward to is more. It's more like what you're looking at, but like what what is there to be optimistic about? Yeah, I mean, I'm nothing. <laughs> fucked. Yeah, no, I mean, I think aside from like exchange rate, like I, the reason I'm I'm talking on a show is what Bitcoin did. The reason I work for a Bitcoin company. The reason I I you know log on to the Bird app every day and talk about this uh, this orange coin is because um, I'm optimistic about a future that. You know, um, we have we have control of our our own property, our own money. It's uh, you know we're not ruled by uh, tyrants and uh, and you know and not in the U.S. But there's you know dictators all over the world. There's kind of a, an over 
uh, overruling elite class of people that kind of pull the, the triggers of the world. And, and so, you know, I'm optimistic about Bitcoin despite its exchange rate volatility, despite all the financial jargon BS, um, because I think it's really one of the only, chan- like only chances we have, uh, you know, in my lifetime, and our lifetime to, um, or really ever maybe, um, you know, there's that, you know, old shiny metal that people like, but uh, in terms of like an engineering solution, a tech solution uh, to this, to this uh, kind of Orwellian future. That's, that's one of the things that I get, that's why I, you know, through the up and downs, like that's why I'm, I'm like actually really passionate about Bitcoin. Like the money's fun. Like I love finance because I love math and I love the challenge. Um, so, you know, I'll talk about the GBTCs and silver gates of the world and that's fascinating to me. Um, but like, is that like, is that what like, gets me up in the morning, like, I guess, but not really like what, what really drives me. Um, and what really is like, I'm, I'm passionate about this thing is because I think there's like probably our only shot at, uh, at, you know, global, global money. That's not ruled by, by people. So that's love it. Yeah. Well, listen, dude, it's been great to get to know you over this last couple of years and just see you blow up and everything you've done with your career. It's great to meet your parents in Miami. That was awesome. And, uh, uh, we got saxophone in. Do you say we had a saxophone? A saxophone? Do you play the sax? I, yeah, I do. Oh, you don't remember that? I don't remember. Yeah. 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 Next time. Do you remember us playing that? No. You still play that? Uh, I actually touched it for the first time like last month, but I don't actively play the sax We anymore. should get you to bring it next time because you know we have Junseth in every time singing for us. Oh, we need you on the sax, we, Junseth singing and Troy Cross playing piano. Yeah, oh, we, could, we could start a band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, listen, dude, congratulations on everything. Um, you've obviously got a good work ethic and uh, it's been really impressive to see what you've done. Uh, it's great to get to know you. Just continue crushing it, man. And uh, where do you want to send people? Yeah. Um, first off, I mean, I appreciate you having me on. Um, Anytime, dude. you got like a, you got a permanent open invite. If you ever message me or Danny, you go, I want to come on. It's like dinner's in. Love it. Um, yeah, you can just uh, find me on Twitter probably. Um, I do all sorts of things, like I said at the beginning, uh, at Dylan Leclerc underscore. Uh, that's where I'm at mostly. Work for Bitcoin Magazine, do a couple other things. Um, but yeah, reach, reach out to me there. All right, thank you, man. All right, take care. Let's go get some chicken. Cheers, Peter. Okay, what'd you make of that? Do you enjoy that? How good is Dylan? I can't believe it. He's like 21 years old and he's absolutely smashing it. I don't want to always talk about his age because it's a bit condescending. I just know I was a fucking moron at 21 and just seeing what he's doing is really impressive. And it's really cool to see the baton being passed on to some of these new people who have come into Bitcoin, people like him and David Zell. So big up to all those. Um, we're still here out in Austin. We've got three more shows to make. And then I'm going to be making a film about mining and then I'm heading back to the UK, going back for the final few months of the football season going to try and go and bring that title home. I hope you're all doing well out there. If you've got any questions about this, you want to reach out to me, you can just drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I will get back to you. Sometimes it will take a few days because I've had quite a few emails recently, but I will do everything I can to reply to you. Have a great weekend and I will see you all next week. <laughs>